This program is brought to you by PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. To learn more about this podcast, visit pli.edu slash pro bono podcast. In our episode on pro bono and reparations, we met George Fothery. George is the lead pro bono attorney for the descendants of the Bruce family. Now, George and I took a lot of time to talk about the return of the beachfront land that was taken from the Bruce family in the 1920s. But we also found time to talk about George's path into real estate law and his approach to pro bono work. It was an interesting and insightful conversation, so we decided you should get to hear it too. So please enjoy this bonus discussion. My name is George Fothery. I am a partner in the real estate group at Sidley Austin, and I work out of Sidley's Los Angeles office. So you are in the real estate group. What what made you decide to be a real estate lawyer? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely was not preordained for me. I think I got here a couple of different ways. I didn't come straight to, to the law. In fact, when I left college, I worked initially as a as a management consultant. I did a stint in the early 2000s as an as an internet entrepreneur, went back into consulting, left consulting, and helped run an education reform nonprofit. And if you looked at my resume for, I don't know, the first eight years out of, out of college graduation, what you would think is, here's a guy who can't hold on to a job. <laughs> and so... When I was, you know, I had made the decision to go back to law school and, and I, I, I went to school, you know, I went to school at night. And when I was thinking about areas of the law that made sense for me, I, I was approaching it with my scattered resume. And I thought, like, I really need to find an area of the law that's going to give me a lot of exit options, because if the if the past is any indication of the future, I may only be here for two or three years. And what struck me, you know, and so I thought about litigation, for example, and what I thought was, you know, well, if I do this for four or five years and then decide, you know, I don't like being a litigator, I don't know, maybe I'm stuck a little bit. I'm not sure, you know, you can always go in house and work for the government, but you're a litigator. And when I thought about real estate, I said, hey, this is, you know, this is a legal area that's got a bunch of exit options. I can, if I decide I don't want to be a real estate lawyer, I can always go on the business side. I can be a developer. I could go in house. I could invest in real estate. And so it felt like there were a lot of exit options in case my my stint as as a lawyer was was short. Now, of course, in hindsight, I've been a commercial real estate lawyer for 15 years. <laughs> and so so I have not availed myself of any exit options. So that's, you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of a long answer. I'll tell you I'll tell you the real answer is when I was a summer associate working at my first law firm one of the very first projects that I did was with a partner in the office. And what I saw in this partner was everything that I wanted to be as a as a lawyer, as a legal professional. You know, he had the same energy. He cared a lot about, you know, social issues and democratic politics. And and so the real, you know, or an alternative answer is I made the decision to become a commercial real estate attorney the same way I've made basically every professional decision in my life. And that is by asking myself, who do I want to work with? And in this instance, the guy who I thought I wanted to work with the most just happened to be a commercial real estate lawyer. <laughs> so so one part mentor, one part looking at the honest statistics about how long people stay in the practice of law and planning 
for stage two, right? That's that's exactly right. And 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 look, <laughs> I'll mention one other thing. Is so you know, not only am I a commercial real estate attorney, but I I happen to practice you know, at a big firm, I, I practice and I work in big law. And I think that that's also not not by accident. I think what attracted me to big law was I was looking for a place where I could get great training, build great skills, work on challenging assignments with, you know, that had complexity. I wanted to have a, a set of colleagues that were kind of bright and ambitious and motivated. I was looking for an environment that had a, you know, a, a broad platform and really a lot of resources. So, you know, so I'm a, a transactional real estate attorney, but also a, a big law attorney. And, and that's not by coincidence or accident. So, so I went to, I went to law school at night during the day I was working full time. I was helping to run an education reform nonprofit here in California. And I love that job. I was, you know, it's, you know, to this day, it's probably one of the best, <laughs> one of the best jobs that, that I've had. And when I was getting ready to graduate, I remember a lot of people would come up and they'd say, are you going to stay in the public space and, you know, go into government or, or public interest law, or are you going to go to the private sector and work in big law, work for a firm? And I always hated that question because I felt like it was such a false choice right? That I would have to choose. And what I wanted to do at the time, and what I really feel like I have done looking back is I wanted to join a firm to get the best training and experience and develop the right technical expertise that I could then bring to bear, not only for my paying, you know, for-profit clients, but that I could bring to bear around the organizations and the social issues that were important to me and my family. And the advice, you know, I, you know, I, I get asked by, by law school students now, like, oh, you know, I went to law school because I wanted to do civil rights, but everybody says now I should go to a firm. And what I say is like, don't make that decision. That's a false choice. You can do both. But, but that's really how I've approached my career is like it, the firm has been amazing to just develop these skills and this expertise and this way of thinking and this network and this access to resources and a platform. And then what, what I get to do is I get to direct all of that to the issues and the causes that are important to me and my family. Okay. And you are a big law attorney who is deeply involved in pro bono. And one of the things we've heard in talking to other attorneys who are both successful in their in their practice and successful in their pro bono is that we keep hearing from folks that new associates should have a vision for pro bono and, and what they kind of want it to be and where they want it to fit in your career. And I suspect you're the kind of person who has a vision for your pro bono work. You, you, you know, I, I do. And I like that's not the advice that I got, but I like I like the sound of that. I like that approach for having a vision. I'll, I'll tell you that that my vision for pro bono as a as a junior attorney in big law was an expansive one though, and so I, I I like this idea of having a vision, but I don't think the vision needs to be narrow, and and I'll tell you what I mean by that. Doing pro bono, you know, checks a lot of different boxes or checked a lot of different boxes for me. <clears throat> I think the thing that folks tend to think of, you know, out of the gate is you do pro bono because you want to have social impact. You want to, you know, give back, you want to make a difference. And that's certainly an important box that pro bono work checks. But when I was a junior associate, I also thought of pro bono opportunities as, as helping me check some other boxes. So it was a good way to build skills. And, you know, I, I ask people, do you know the difference between 
a lease that you negotiate for a pro bono client, a nonprofit, let's say, and a regular lease that you negotiate for a paying client. And of course, it's a trick question because there is no difference. A lease is a lease. The difference for the attorney is if I was doing it for pro bono, I would get to exercise more leadership. I'd get to take the first draft of the document. I'd get to lead the negotiations with the other side. I'd get to lead the conversations with the client. Whereas sometimes in the non-pro bono work, there'd be more layers and I'd have to you know, report up to the senior associate who would report up you know, to the partner. And so for me, doing pro bono work was not only a way to give back and, and have impact, but it actually helped accelerate some of the skills I was developing. <clears throat> in addition, I used pro bono to do different type of stuff, right? So I'm a commercial real estate attorney, but some of the most interesting pro bono work that I've done has nothing to do with real estate law. You know, I have done pro bono work where I've had to write amicus briefs and I've had to, you know, do legal research and analysis that's outside of, of real estate. So I think another reason to do pro bono work is to expose yourself to different areas of the law to build different types of skills. And then the final one that I'll mention is, you know, early in my career, I used pro bono work to create opportunities to work with people that I wanted to build relationships with. And so, you know, there would be a litigation partner who, you know, wasn't in my group. So I'd probably never have the chance to work with them. And I reached out to him and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in, in doing this pro bono project. I wanted to see if you would supervise me and work with me on it and support me as an opportunity to develop relationships with other folks in the firm who I wanted to get to know or who I understand had a good reputation of being, you know, a great writer. And so I like the idea of having a vision for your pro bono work, but I think it's helpful, especially at the beginning for more junior attorneys to, to have, you know, to have an expansive view of what that vision can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes an enormous amount of sense, right? So, because you can have one thing, one pro bono case meet social impact, building yeah. skills and building relationships all at the same time. And I certainly understand that desire to lead on cases. I think it's why I went to legal aid because I don't like being told what to do. But in legal aid, they just hand you a stack of files and they're like, go for it. But, but, you, know, oh. but you know, what's crazy is like you actually develop you develop some skills at a, at a faster rate by doing that by, okay, you're the mm -hmm. one who's, yeah. who's leading the negotiations with the, with the landlord on this. And so, and I think a lot of times people overlook that important aspect of pro bono work. Yes. Yes. I think that's that's very true. Very fair. So I'm going to bet that you have an, an actually pretty interesting list of pro bono things that you've worked on. Do you want to tell us about some of the cases that you're or the matters that you're particularly proud of? <clears throat> yeah, thanks. You know, look, from the very beginning of my career as an attorney, pro bono has been a high priority. And when I look back, um, gosh, almost 15 years now of practicing in big law, some of the pro bono cases that I'm most proud of include probably the one of the first pro bono cases I took was working with a couple. It was a married couple and they were both Holocaust survivors. And I worked on a petition to the German government to get them reparations. To this day, that's, you know, that's, I think that's probably one of the most important things I've done with my, with my JD. And I'll tell you about the motivation for that. Obviously, that was, you know, in terms of like a social responsibility and social impact and, and the right ethical thing that were, you know, very strong pulls in all of those dimensions. But I think, you know, what really got me working on that was, you know, was, was a person who I wanted to work with. It was a, you know, a woman in my group who 
was passionate about that area. And she had reached out to say, hey, is this something you're interested in? And I was really interested in working with her. And so I think that's, you know, that's something else we, we should remember is sometimes pro bono is about, you know, building relationships with people in your firm and showing them that, that you want to be a good colleague and a, and, a, and a good, you know, yeah, good colleague. So, so very proud about the work getting reparations for Holocaust survivors. I actually had the opportunity to do that another time in my career, another individual that I represented on a pro bono basis, and we were able to get them reparations as well. You know, I uh, I did a I did a case where I represented a family, and they had three children in public school. The youngest was in elementary school, and he had diabetes, and there wasn't a full time school nurse on campus. In fact, the nurse had allocated the school, you know, maybe a half a day a week that the nurse would be at campus. And oh my gosh, the way that the the state law worked was that only a licensed nurse could administer the insulin to the student. He, the student could, ins- could administrate, <clears throat> excuse me, the student could administer the insulin himself. He could have a parent or relative administer it to him, or it could be a licensed professional at the schools, a school nurse, which basically meant that when the school nurse wasn't there, if he needed insulin, they would have to call his parents and they'd have to leave work and come down. And so I remember representing this family. And what was special about this representation was, you know, we went over how the law worked and we went over, you know, you know, the request that we wanted to make of the school and, and the authority for supporting that. And we had scheduled a meeting with the school to go in and, and, and make this request, basically that the school accommodate and, and appoint someone other than the school nurse to administer the insulin. And what was special about this case was, you know, my my colleague and I were were planning on attending the meeting with the family and, and meeting with the school and the district and the superintendent. And the night before we asked the client, we said, you know, you guys, you really seem to understand this. And, and we've been through this. You understand what we're asking for and why we're asking for. And I said, would you like to do the meeting with with the school yourself without us? And they took that opportunity. And what was special about that was this feeling of having not just gotten a good result for your client, but this feeling of having worked with your client to become an advocate for themselves and for, for their family. And I remember when we finished that representation, the, the school made the accommodation. They appointed not just a primary person, but also a backup person to administer the insulin. But what I remember about that and what was powerful was this feeling that like, you know, these parents are going to be super strong advocates for their, for their kids going forward, because we were able to work with them and help them not develop the skills so much as the confidence. So that was meaningful. That was really meaningful to me. And then the last one I'll mention that's been an important, you know, pro bono work I've done is you know, but for the past 15 years, I've effectively served as outside general counsel for the Debbie Allen Dance Academy, which is a nonprofit that's based here in the city of Los Angeles. And the academy works with, you know, children and students of diverse backgrounds, including a majority of students from lower and middle income backgrounds to not only provide instruction in dance and the arts, but really kind of strong leadership and life skills. And it's been amazing to see the careers and the educational opportunities that these students go off to pursue. And so that's been an important pro bono partnership for me and and my firm. That's fantastic. And we've done an episode before about this idea of being general counsel for a nonprofit Mm -hmm. and creating those relationships Mm -hmm. and building that. And, And I really appreciate the story about assisting the clients to 
ensure that their son could get his insulin at school because there is, you know, we talk about as lawyers sort of getting hearings, getting things heard, being heard. And, and I like the way that you talk about using your power and training as an attorney to get your actual clients heard, not just for you to be the one speaking. Right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was, you know, that was a special moment for our team when we realized like, you know, they've, they've got this right. And, and frankly, like mm-hmm. they are stronger advocates for their children than, than we could ever be. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll just put a, you know, put a, a, a footnote on that, on that matter. So as a result of, of my representation of that individual family in this case, I was subsequently contacted by the American Diabetes Association, who, who had a lawsuit pending in front of California Supreme Court on this very issue, this issue of whether you know, lice, you know, trained professionals could administer insulin to students who had mm-hmm. diabetes. And they asked me to to write an amicus brief, which which we did, and we looked at you know the the, the arguments around you know educational opportunity and access to learning and and the right to an education, and I'm excited and proud to say that the California Supreme Court ruled in ruled in our favor, and so that was an impactful, important pro bono opportunity as well, the opportunity to do that amicus brief. And it's, it's, again, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, had nothing to do with real estate, right? This is an opportunity <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to do legal research and write and develop those skills and work with people in my appellate group and my litigation group. And so, you know, all of those visions for pro bono were coming together. Yeah. Yeah. But that's pretty fantastic to get to work on it at the frontline ground level <laughs> in a way that builds up the community, the clients, the family, and then to get to work on it on the big picture systemic level and to see success on both ends. Like That's the dream. Yeah. You're living the dream, George. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's very, very fulfilling. We spoke at the beginning about having a vision for pro bono. And I think at this point in my career, you know, I, I have that vision, like what's, you know, what's important to me are, are, you know, issues that impact the black community, whether it be economic development or arts and culture. I'm very passionate and active around disability advocacy and disability rights. And so I believe in that vision, but for me, it's developed over time. And one of the things that I think was important as a more junior attorney was was just being a good colleague and sometimes allowing someone else's pro bono vision to take advantage of my skills and training. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. So four elements of of thinking about your vision, which is what's the social impact you want to have? What are the skills you want to build? Who are the people you want to work with? And how do you use this as a platform for being a good colleague when other people come to you? And look, in the Bruce's Beach case is a good example because that's not just a real estate project. It involved litigation and tax law and family law. And I needed to reach out to those specialists in my firm and maybe they had a different pro bono vision than than my pro bono vision. Mm-hmm. But what was important is when I reached out that they were there and that they said yes. And so I'm also an advocate for that. I'm also an advocate for having part of your pro bono vision be using your skills, experience, capacity, and expertise to support the pro bono vision of others. And if you have not heard it already, you can learn more about George Fothery's contributions to the community by listening to our episode, Pro Bono and Reparations, The Bruce's Beach Story. Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. 
This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers working to improve access to justice. A special thanks goes to our producer, Daniel Pinitz, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. Please note that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast represent those of the individuals being interviewed and not necessarily those of PLI. PLI is a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and other professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum of pro bono programs, visit pli.edu slash pro bono.